0: Hello, everybody. Welcome in to Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals, Evan Grant and David Moore. Fellas, how are we all doing? Dave, uh, Evan, aren't you up in uh, Toronto?
1: I am. That is where the Rangers are playing, and as of this time, we cover the Rangers when they play road games.
0: That's great.
2: Uh, Evan? What kind of... What kind of comment was that? What?
1: I was eating a gummy bear.
0: Well, that's always important, you know, when you go on the air and you're having a podcast or something, to make sure
2: you're chewing something. It was a gummy so vitamin.
1: I'm sorry, I'm trying to take care of my health. You know, I'm now 58 years old. I'm old, but oh, still a, still, a- gummy know, vitamin. You podcast. can
2: you a gummy vitamin is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, because if you had waited till after the podcast to take that, you probably would have dropped dead before then.
0: So I'm glad you did it.
1: That, During the- that, that was my doctor's instruction. As soon as Kevin starts talking, take medication.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's gold. That's gold. And uh, David Moore uh, is covering the greatest NFL team in the history of the league, frankly. No question about it. Uh, after stomping those New York Giants
2: 40 to nothing. Unbelievable. Mem- memo 2 Long suffering Cowboy fans who may remember the last time this team went to the Super Bowl was the 1995 season. That season opened with a 35 nothing shutout victory on the road against the New York football giants. Wow, look at that. I think that proves it. So, Super Bowl or bust, baby. We just need to talk about this in late January now. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't I want to. I would say this. There is absolutely nothing we can do to qualify that Cowboys win because I don't know that I've seen them play as good a football game in my time around here.
2: Well, that, that really was all three phases, right? I mean, to have when, when your offense is the third unit to score in a game, uh, that tells you everybody's all in on this one. You know, I, it, this is interesting. This is the, um, since the start of the 2021 season, this is the 10th game, I believe, where they've scored 40 or more points. Uh, but this was subpl- certainly in the upper echelon of, of the most decisive. I, I would go back, you know, it really wasn't that long ago they had that 40-3 to 3 win in Minnesota last year where they kind of took control of the game from the start and never let up. So that's comparable. But these performances are rare. And go back to that Minnesota game last year, did they come close to duplicating that dominance again the rest of the season? No. So that, you know, look, in in a league, in a league in a time where everything is exaggerated in the moment, um... Just because you start that way doesn't mean you're going to be able to sustain it or, and, and again, the opponent Dallas has this week. I mean, this is a vastly different opponent four snaps into last night's game, the New York jets with the loss of Aaron Rodgers, uh, who it was confirmed today. It was a complete Achilles tear. Uh, so his season is over. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I I thought that their
0: chances were obviously pretty good of beating the jets. Um, especially after watching the Giants, even with Aaron Rodgers. I, I, it did occur to me, that, now, how would he react to this kind of pressure? You know, veteran quarterback, um, really good at, at seeing things, seeing where, where pressure's coming from and, and throwing the ball in that direction, uh, that sort of thing, to see how he handled that as opposed to Daniel Jones, who was completely unnerved in that. You know, what it reminded me of watching uh, Jones play on Sunday night was uh, I covered a couple of Mike Tyson's fights. Uh, and in one of them, uh, he was facing a fellow by the name of Carl, the truth Williams, uh, who was turning sideways and and kind of running away from him, holding out his glove and, and like he was holding off a, a, a rabid dog, you know, and I, I had never seen a fighter do that. He was clearly frightened of Mike Tyson and trying to get away from him. And I and I thought of that in that game uh, Sunday night was that it just looked to me like Daniel Jones was completely unravelled by the, the Cowboys' pressure uh, at times, making plays that he shouldn't have tried to, to do, uh, and of course them keeping him in at the end of the game. I thought there was no excuse for that. You're taking out your offensive lineman, you've got your second team offensive line in there, and your first string quarterback. It was the most outrageous thing I'd ever seen—a uh, coaching decision like that late in a game where you're clearly getting killed. So I, I think it'll be very interesting to, to watch going forward, how teams respond to this kind of pressure, because I, I've never seen the Cowboys exhibit this kind of pressure across the front, not just from one guy or two guys. I, I, I don't, I was not around here when Harvey Martin and two tall Jones were terrorizing quarterbacks, but I just have to believe that this is the best pass rush they've had in at least 40 years.
2: Well, it's the, I, I would, I would agree with you. I'd say it's the most diverse pass rush as well. I, I think you can get pressure from different spots along the line more so than you ever have at any time in, in franchise history. And part of that is because Dan Quinn treats these guys as interchangeable parts. I mean, look, Micah Parsons in space is, is as good as it gets in the league right now. But a lot of times, they'll move him inside. And in essence, have him rush from a tackle position and you still have to account for him. But now what does that do to your outside protection? And you had a guy in his past game, for example, Oso Digizua, who is more of an interior guy. He lined up outside and he was giving the Giants fits. So that's the thing. It's not just, you know, they can get pressure with just their front four and they get it And they can get it differently every snap because they can line these guys up at two or three different spots and change the matchups constantly. And so that makes it more difficult for an offense to get a read on it. They can bring pressure from the linebackers or the plethora of safeties they have on this team. And look, they didn't even have their best pass rushing safety in the game in Donovan Wilson. Uh, You know, I had him into the mix and and you take this even more. So as, as... Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy were saying this defense has been building to this for the last couple of years. And at least in the first game, uh, you saw an example of how devastating it can be. Very quickly, what was interesting to me, you you talk about how Daniel Jones looked rattled, and, and you certainly can't disagree with that. But go back to that opening series offensively that New York had, and what were they doing? They were just running it down the Cowboys' throats. And that was the biggest thing the Cowboys addressed in the offseason because they said, look, every team's going to come out and run at us because they don't want us to unleash our pass rush because we have one of the best pass rushes in the league. We're the most opportunistic team in the league. They force more turnovers over the last two seasons than any team. So, of course, teams are going to run right at us. And if they have enough success, that takes away from our strength. And I, you know, watching that opening series, I was going, well, you know, they, it's going to take them a while here. You know, the Giants are just going to run at them all day. And again, the Giants, what do the Giants really have at receiver, much beyond Waller? that it, it tied in, so I was going, well, this could be. But then, you know, you had the high snap, and uh, then you block the field goal that's returned, and suddenly they dominate time of possession early, and they're down six nothing after they miss extra point, and it's like. But then they just kind of got away from it. The Cowboy pressure just, you know, they turned it up even more. Evan?
1: Well, i the only question I have is, and I, I said this when we started, that there's no qualifiers on this win because it was such an impressive performance all the way around. I think the only question I've got, is there anything to qualify this defensive performance by the Giants – the Giants' offensive line, where where does it rank? Where should it rank in in terms of competition?
2: They've they've gotten better. Um, it is not one of the. I wouldn't say it's in the top third of the league, but it's right after that. So it's a it's a very representative line uh, of what teams will face. Having said that, they're better than the New York Jets' offensive line, which is what the Cowboys will face this weekend. Um, they're better than Arizona's offensive line, which they will face the week after that. So, to, to me, if the Cowboys were going to lose a game this month, it was going to be this one. And now they've won it. And for the first time in in Mike McCarthy's tenure, uh, they have won a season opener. Um, and, and remember, this is a team that went 12-5 and five the last two years, Lost the opener in each of those years and lost the final game in each. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you, you sandwich 12 and three in between the start and the ending. Um, so, yeah, this team has, it, we talked about it, it's kept the nucleus together. And we touched on this last week. I mean, not only keeping the nucleus together and, and young players making, you know, expected and in some cases dramatic improvement from one year to the next, you add, a veteran offensive presence and Brandon cooks and a veteran defensive presence and Stefan Gilmore. And I thought both of those additions really showed how different this team is from what it was last year. Yeah, no question. Those two
0: guys played great, uh, made real uh, impact on the game. You know, I think that uh, what it reminded me of a little bit is, and, and they didn't play, pay nearly as much for these guys and they uh, aren't nearly those kind of players. But just what uh, the, it did for the Rangers lineup to add, you know, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. You know, you, you bring mm-hmm. in two pros like that, and, and they make plays that other guys don't make, and they and they respond, and they're professionals, and they do what they're supposed to do. You know, that's where it was <clears throat> let the offense was let down last year by after you know uh, C.D. Lamb. It was just pretty pitiful the performance
2: by everybody behind him. Uh, for well, again, for you a go into period. last year, Noah Brown. In essence, was their second receiver after C.D. Lamb. Brandon Cooks, with six 1,000-yard seasons, is now their second receiver behind C.D. Lamb. That's a yeah. huge difference, and just and just one player changes your rotation to a point where it can go from a weakness to a strength with just one guy. And in my wow. mind, that's what Brandon Cooks does at the receiving group, and, and that's what Gilmore does at the. Uh, remember, late in the season, you know. Uh, Calvin Joseph was out there doing 48 snaps at uh, outside corner after uh, Anthony Brown went down late in the season. They auditioned a different corner on the outside every week in the stretch run and then just you know kind of settled in on the position. And, and actually, uh, McQuamu, who played corner in college and they'd moved to safety, wound up on some time out there. Uh, but now you have Gilmore in there, and now suddenly Bland is your third uh, corner instead of your starter, you're going to get Jordan Lewis back, who you didn't have last year. Uh, At this stage, they have an abundant of riches, uh, or uh, they're about to have a few more. Like we said, a shutout to open it, and two of their best defensive players on the back end, and Donovan Wilson and Jordan Lewis, weren't even active for the game. All right. Let's talk about Go ahead. Go
1: ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry. I'm jumping across. Well, I just want to say real quickly,
0: I, th- I think what was, was overlooked in this game, too, was the play of Trayvon Diggs. You know, he he, he makes the hit yep. on Saquon Barkley to force the interception. It was ruled as an interception. Uh, and then and another then hit he, forced a fumble. Then a strip for the fumble. You know, this he looked like a guy who would have played at Alabama. Now, that's not the way he played at hmm. Alabama, but he looked like a guy who would have played at Alabama. I watched Malachi Moore in the game against Texas the other day and and he had a tremendous hit in the end zone to break up a touchdown catch. Uh, And I thought that, yeah, that's a classic kind of uh, Alabama uh, play. Now all of a sudden uh, Trayvon is doing that. You know, we've all criticized him for his Olay style of tackling, you know, uh, and and his, his uh, hesitance to, to stick his helmet in and get involved. Well, those were two tremendous plays that had nothing to do with picking off a, a, a pass. So if he's going to add this to his repertoire, this is how he's going to play, you know, from here on out. And and I think I saw somewhere where there was a feeling that maybe Gilmore had had that kind of influence on him. David, I wanted to know if if if, if uh, Diggs was asked about that and anybody and he said anything about uh, those kinds of plays.
2: Yeah, he did. Uh, it, it just very quickly, it was a quick. He said, "Well, do you think after these hits, do you think that's going to quiet you know some of the critics out there who question your you know." physicality and tactical technique and he said well I sure hope so and but 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 to me what this shows is this is the other thing Dan Quinn will tell you and he's coached uh, one of the better defenses in recent memory in in Seattle uh during their title run and and in talking to him in training camp about what were some of the common denominators of some of the best defenses, you know, throughout NFL history. Uh, you know, the, those Baltimore Ravens, that Seattle team, um, you know, the the steel curtain, I mean, just, just so many, you know, so many units. He said tackling. You know, first of all, if no one talks a lot about it, you know, they all had different DNA traits, whether it was pa- rushing the passer, whether it was, you know, outstanding coverage, whatever, but – you have to be a good tackling team or you can't be an elite defense. And that was kind of an area where they were deficient, right? And to have to have a player in Trayvon Diggs who clearly has a unique skill set, which he showed by becoming the first player in 40 years to record 11 interceptions in a season, to then just one year after that to really show that, okay, now I'm adding this – Physical edge to my game and being a tackler, which you know was questioned about me. Hey, look! It even goes back to the playoff game, right? The play to Kittle, uh, you know that big play to Kittle in, in the game, which was where he couldn't get the interception. But if he could have made the hit, then the the tone of the game might have been a little bit different there. But for a young player like that who's made a name for himself already <clears throat> as a playmaker, to then go. Well, that's not enough. It's not just about me. I'm buying in on what the team concept is, and I'm one of the leaders. I need to show that. It really is a really is a key element in my mind that probably we haven't talked about enough. I, I think it says a lot about him. I think it says a lot about the accountability everyone on this defense has and how serious they are about being a special group. Again, a long way to go, but they've been together, um, and you know that's. You're starting to see this was a very good first salvo of what this group can become.
1: All right, so David, you when you say a "long way to go," that brings me to my next question for the two of you guys, which is is very simply as you know, cowboy fans are a very restrained group. <laughs> um, yes, they they're they're very slow to offer, to offer judgment. <laughs> yeah, what does this stop people from like basically making Super Bowl reservations after Game One based on what you guys saw?
2: Well, again, there's no there's no moderator in place, right? You're either you're either like this team is the best or it stinks. You know, there, there's very little nuance, or or people swing more on the Cowboys, I think, in part because there is so much attention placed on them constantly. Uh, it's, same thing with Dak. Is he one of the best quarterbacks in the league, or is he completely useless and they should move on? I mean, that that seems to be one of two camps. You have to be in one or the other, and you can't be anywhere in between, or you're not part of either camp. And so, what use are you? Are you, you know, what does your opinion matter? So it's the same thing with whether the Cowboys are good or bad. I I will say, um, I I still think the twenty seven years. Of emotional baggage this team carries will prevent anyone from saying this team is different until they get past the divisional round of the playoffs. And and that's the thing. I think, you know, as as cathartic in some ways for, for some Cowboy fans as that victory was in the opener against the Giants, I think a more significant portion of fans are just kind of shrugging their shoulders saying, and I've seen this before. I'm not going to get sucked in after one game and say this team is different. Uh, you know, this team has to show me it's different in January and see if they can get to February again to play football. So I, I think, and to me, that's always one of the more difficult disconnects that the Cowboys have had in recent years of managing success and expectations is even when they've had a high-level um, a large portion of their fan base is still highly skeptical for, for understandable reasons. And and you know, I, I kind of wrote that after this game uh, Sunday, and I, I think that's the case. If you if you if you didn't take the Cowboys history into account, if you didn't take it's been 27 years and they haven't been past the division around, were the number one seed several times, didn't even win a postseason game, you took all that off the board and just said Okay, Dallas has been 12 and 5 the last two seasons. Um you know, they're better at receiver. They have one of the better defenses in the league. Where you know, where should this team rank? You would have put it in the conversation for one of the prime Super Bowl contenders, especially in a conference where there aren't as many good teams at the top as there are the AFC. But I think most people tended to go. Well, it's going to be Philadelphia or, or you know, San Francisco. And Dallas is right after that. But uh, the only team with a better regular season record since the start of the 2021 season, right now, counting one game into this year, is Kansas City. And the only the two closest teams that Kansas City was ahead of Dallas. Buffalo was tied with them. Both of those teams lost on the opener. Dallas won. So now Kansas City is the only team since the start of the 2021 season that has won more regular season games. But you don't hear them in that conversation because of their decades of postseason inability to get past the divisional round.
1: Sure. All
2: right, we're going to run out of time here.
0: So I want to get over to the uh, an obvious talking point as well in which we kind of avoided, which I think says a little bit about that win or says a lot about it. Is Dak Prescott's performance uh, had the defense not played so well, had special teams not played so well, uh, I think we would probably have been uh, not eviscerating uh, Dak, but certainly question uh, the, the fact that he he didn't look very good. He looked like a guy who hadn't played a snap in preseason, which I still think is a mistake. I think that they that you I think that game proved that you need so, to get out. So you're him out thinking there. they would
2: have been a lot sharper if they would have played in the preseason. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think that would have helped a little bit. You know, he
0: just didn't look comfortable throwing the ball. He wasn't stepping into throws. He he just looked a little indecisive uh, and, and, you know, some of the throws w- were wildly off um, and I just felt like he didn't answer any of the questions coming out of last year uh, when he had of course he had the great game against Tampa Bay in the playoffs and then boom, you know, uh, it all went away again and of course the 15 interceptions and all the talk about that, he didn't put away any of those fears. I, I it doesn't mean that he 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 won't. Uh, I, I expect him to play better as he goes along here because it's you know he didn't play. So th- this was some experience, and he got that under his belt, and it, it allowed him to play in the defensive special teams to have a kind of a soft landing in the NFL. And so that was or in in the regular season. So that was that was good uh, for him. Uh, I, I think a couple of things here in his defense. One, uh, he didn't have his starting left guard. Uh, Tyler Smith didn't play because of the hamstring. And two, the tight end couldn't catch a ball to save its life. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought that the loss of Dalton Schultz would have meant that much. Uh, but watching those guys fumble around out there in that in that opening they game. They really
2: fought the ball, yeah. They did a good uh, job in blocking. And, and their, the schemes they were in allowed them to keep the Giants off balance. But, yeah, they really fought the ball. They need to. Uh, they need those to extend drives, or in the case, I mean, that touchdown. They, there was a touchdown right there that was dropped. Sure. So, uh, so that's that's going to have to improve a little bit. But that's but
0: those are things that that can improve, uh, and, and you would expect to improve. And, and you know, to the I I, I go back to our, our old pal Brad Sham and what he always says about this kind of stuff is that just enjoy the moment. You know, like, your team played great, whether they go to the Super Bowl or not, we don't know. But that was a really fun game for a Cowboys fan to watch. Uh, and, and you got to enjoy that. And you, you have to know also that it's not smoke and mirrors. You know, Dan Quinn does a great job as a defensive coordinator. But Micah Parsons might be the best Cowboy of the last 25 years, you know. And so when you've got real talent like that out there, it's not only what he does, but it's the domino effect of what teams are having to, to do to counteract uh, him. And allows other people who are also very talented to to be even better. So yeah. I, I do think that that there is a, a very reasonable expectation for this Cowboys team to be good. Just as, as you mentioned, David, adding Brandon Cooks, a guy with six thousand yard receiving uh, seasons, and he's going to, going to be the number two receiver. Everything has been upgraded. Stephon Gilmore upgrades that cornerback position. You know, I, I question whether he still has it because we know how cornerbacks can hit a wall. But he played very well in that game and played very well all during the preseason. And, and there's no reason to think that he can't continue to do that, barring some sort of injury. So, and I don't uh, want to see anything uh, about it, asterisks out there either. Like when uh, Mike Tarico said that about the Lions beating Kansas City, everybody's got somebody who's
2: hurt, right? Yeah. Don't ever say that when you beat somebody, well, that comes with
0: an asterisk.
2: Yeah. And uh, very quick, real quick, uh, no, we need to move on here. But to your other point about Prescott, Yeah, it didn't light it up, and I think I saw a stat somewhere where this is like – this may be the first time a a team has scored 40 points without the starting quarterback throwing a touchdown or throwing for 150 yards in like 20 or 30 years or something. Uh, But here's the other side of that stat. Dak Prescott, in a game with horrible conditions, that was really a a deluge at points (laughs) as hard as it was raining – Didn't come close to a turnover in that game. There were only two games last year where he didn't have a turnover in a game. That was Minnesota and Detroit. So you look at the Minnesota game, Detroit game, and now this Giants game. So those are the three games where Dak Prescott has not had a turnover, has not had a fumble or thrown an interception in a game since the start of last season in 2022. Dallas has won those three games by a combined score of 104 to 9. Wow. So it's also about playing to your strengths too, right? It's about when you have this defense, when you have a special team that can score or flip the field, don't chase big plays. And I think that happened too often last year. They were chasing big plays. Uh, Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, and offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer made a point of saying how they didn't chase big plays in this game and that's another one of their emphasis this year. Uh, it's going to be quicker throws. It's, uh, you know, the offensive line is making a lot of the protection calls now and taking that off Dak's plate. And so Dak goes to the line and he's just worried about his route tree and where to go and don't put the ball in harm's way unless you're down and you need to take some chances. But why take unnecessary chances offensively with this defense? That's not playing good team ball. So well, it'll be interesting. Look, it, Dak's going to have plenty of 300-yard games, and I would imagine he'll have a 400-yard game or two uh, before this season is done. But certain games, you don't need that, and they just didn't need it in the opener, so why force it?
0: Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. I've said that all along. I think that's the kind of quarterback Dak is, and I think he's certainly yeah. capable of that's having when he's those at big his best. games. That's when the team's at their best. Yeah, it's just He takes care of the ball, and, and uh, I, I, you know, there's such a – Bad emphasis on saying the guy's a bus driver. I don't always think it's such a bad thing to be the bus driver. You know, I always respected my bus drivers when I was growing up. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a problem with that. I'm
2: the people
1: you have
0: one of those Mercedes buses,
2: session. it's a pretty good thing to be a bus driver.
0: <laughs> there you go, there you go, Sprinter vans. All right, that does it for the Cowboys segment of our podcast. We're going to move over now and talk about the Rangers who all of a sudden are right back in it. You know, it was all gloom and doom from Evan Grant uh, a couple weeks ago when they lost three games to the Astros and just got got run out of town practically uh, by that. It was so bad that Evan refused to cover the team for the next three games after they lost uh, to the Astros. And then Evan said, okay, all right, I'll come back and he takes the team to Toronto, and what happens? They win right out of the box. Evan's back. Evan's on the bus. The Rangers are on their way to the playoffs.
1: That's close enough, Kevin. I I did cover the game on Friday. Um, Oh, that's right.
0: You did cover that one. That's right.
1: I believe you may have written a column off of Wednesday's game in which you called them an embarrassment. Um, Uh,
0: I said it was embarrassing. I didn't say it was an embarrassment.
1: And embarrassing. Um, no. but Mantic, listen, sir. this is as you said about your old friend, and I, I should also note that at this point in time, whenever you talk about a friend, let's take out old because all of your friends at this point are old. Um, no offense to Brad Champ. Um,
2: offense taken.
1: Yeah. but this is the beauty of playoff baseball, man. You you tight races. Things change on a dime. I came back to the hotel room last night and was watching the end of that Seattle angels game. And it's, it's craziness, right? It, it Julio Rodriguez hitting a game tying home run. And then the angels scoring go ahead runs in the 11th. It, it, it's what playoff baseball is all about is every day in every game, something can change. And the Rangers have now rolled off three wins in a row at least one of them, against a the major league club. Um, it was an important win for them to go out last night, and, and there were a lot of good things. And I was writing a – before we started this morning, I was just getting started writing a little follow-up. You know, Evan Carter did hit his first big league home run, made a great throw, um, had a great at-bat. Jonah Heim looked like he was back maybe for the first time in a month. But after that game, the first thing Bruce Bochy said was, it starts with the starting pitching. And that was this team's strength for a big portion of this year. If they get starting pitching down the stretch, and there are some reasons to think that they will, this team can be a very dangerous team in the playoffs. You know, the rearrangement of the rotation, moving Heaney into the bullpen, getting Evaldi back, and winning games that Ivaldi started and that Heaney relieved in over the weekend, I think was a significant development for the Rangers. Winning last night with Dane Dunning getting a quality start and going into the seventh inning, got more of the the quote-unquote winning pieces in the bullpen, an extra day of rest. And so this team is set up well to, to complete this series against Toronto.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me you know, in, in this playoff race, and I do going want to talk about the Rangers specifically in a moment, but first I want to talk about just the whole race, is that – so Seattle gets back in it with this – absolutely torrid streak where they went something like what, 25 and six or some outrageous number. Uh And and to think that the, the Mariners all of a sudden, after just kind of being pissant all season, we're going to play like this from, from that point forward, I thought was just a little ridiculous. It just, it was the same thing as thinking that when the, with the Rangers playing so poorly, they were going to continue to play that poorly for the rest of the season. Uh, those things were, were, we're not going to keep happening. I I just didn't believe. And then the Astros, you know, being the Astros, they are, they are a, a world champion, you know, club uh, they were going to play well. Uh, so at this point, I think obviously perspective plays a, a large part of the, of, the all, of all of this. I think if the Rangers had all season long been in second place, chasing the Astros and and maintained, you know, that they were two or three games back. Well, we'd all been ecstatic about how great that the Rangers had, had played and coming back from being so terrible for the last six years. Uh, the, the problem was that they went out and played an unbelievable brand of baseball for about two or three months and then and put themselves in such a great position. And then just couldn't sustain that injuries had a large part to do with that. Also guys kind of regressing to the mean, uh, had a part of that. Uh, but now uh, I think what we're seeing is, as you, as you pointed out, like with Evan Carter, uh, sometimes these are the little sparks that you need late this season. Uh, somebody comes up that you're not expecting after a long season, a lot of guys are worn out. I, I think frankly, that Adolis Garcia uh, tweaking his knee was a good thing. You know, got him out of the lineup, got him to sit down, got him to take him out of there and maybe rest a little bit. And maybe by the time he comes back, he'll, he'll be, he'll be better for it. Uh, it also did force their hand and make them bring up Evan Carter, which they may have done that anyway. Uh, but He's obviously already made an impact. I mean, you could, I mean, yes, they did blow out the the Blue Jays, you know, Monday night, but look what, look how Carter played in that game. He was, he made a real impact in it.
1: I I did say this to Chris Young before the game last night, we were talking on the field a little bit and you know, you don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse here, but again, this is a team that is in the thick of the playoff race. And yes, the division is, is going to be an uphill battle and getting home field for that first, for, for the, division series is going to be a, a, an uphill battle. Not a, not undoable. The Astros lost to Hugh, to Oakland last night, four to nothing. The Rangers are two back with 19 to play as we record this. But the thing I mentioned to Chris and, and he kind of echoed this is look, if, if this team does find its way into the playoffs and you do get a somewhat rested and refreshed and healthy Adolis Garcia back, and you do get Josh Young back after five weeks, um, and you do get Nathan Evaldi back with some now, it looks like his velocity is starting to tick back up. And you've moved Andrew Heaney into the bullpen. This is the kind of club that present, presents a lot of danger for, for playoff teams. And it doesn't necessarily matter if they're playing that wild card series on the road at Minnesota um, because they're a different team than will have played Minnesota for those seven games that they, they faced them just a couple of weeks ago when this team was healthy and functioning in the first half, it was really good. Offensively, I don't know that it could ever do what it did for the first 60 games, but it was a really good offense. And if you get all these pieces back and get them a little bit of refreshed, uh, a, a little bit refreshed going into the postseason, they could be very, very dangerous. And, and let's also remember, the postseason is longer than it's ever been. And if you do have guys who are fresh going into the postseason, you may be you know, going back on the way up rather than trying to prevent a, a slide. And, and, and so there are some reasons to feel like if the Rangers can find their way, I mean, they had to find their way out of this long slide. But if they have found their way out of the slide and can right the ship a little bit and get themselves to the playoffs, I, I think this team could be the kind of club that nobody wants to face. Yeah,
0: I agree with that hundred um, percent. Let me ask you this about Corey Seager, and you know we don't talk about Corey a lot because he doesn't talk a lot, so it makes it difficult sometimes. Uh, but when Chris Young gave him all that money, uh, I was not counting on him hitting 330, 340, uh, and hitting thirty home runs. Uh, you know that was not his history of doing that, and yet this season, uh, you know when he's been out there. That's what he's doing. He's just pounding the ball. I, I I don't know that I have, you know, Josh Hamilton played that way in in one of the World Series years uh, when he was uh, had his made uh, an unbelievable impact on the Rangers roster. But I I can't think of anybody else, frankly, who's been able to s- sustain this kind of performance over the course of a season. Uh, he is. If if the Rangers do go places, I, I would expect him to be a serious MVP candidate.
1: Well, I, I, you know, I do wonder at this point in time, if the runaway freight train that was Shohei Ohtani, if there has been a little bit of pullback on that, you know, Shohei's such a a different cat because of the, because he had pitched for so much of the season and the home runs and, and all that stuff. There's a lot of hype that goes along with that. But, but Seager, at least of the one way players, in baseball this year, Seager has been the American League's best player. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Um, I think think the OPS is still over 1,050. Um, He's leading the league in batting average now that he qualifies. Uh, And I think one thing that doesn't get said enough, and unfortunately – Unfortunately, in a series where there was a lot of of, of eyes on them against Houston, he didn't have his best defensive game. He made a key error there. I think he got a little bit screened. But if you look at Corey Seager's defense this year, it's been really, really exemplary. Now, he's not going to win a gold glove, um, but he might should be one of the AL finalists for gold glove. He has done everything well this year, and he just shows up and plays. And um, if he did not, if he did not miss those two stints on the IL, I do think you would be saying he is the MVP favorite. Because you'd be looking at a guy closing in on 40 home runs, and I don't see any reason why his batting... Look, the guy came back from ILs, right, with one... The first time he came back, he had, what, one rehab game. The second time, after missing more time, he had no rehab games, and came back and picked up right where he left off. There's no reason to think... That if he hadn't played those games, if he had been healthy, that he wouldn't have continued to produce.
0: Yeah, that's what the same argument I made about uh, the Cowboys being legitimate uh, not only because of their scheme and stuff, but because they had players like Micah Parsons. It's the same thing for me with the Rangers being a legitimate playoff contender because who's better than Corey Seager? And you're and you're right about that defense. I've noticed that he this year he's played very well. Uh, not there were a lot of errors before, and he, he had not been a good defender in his years in uh, L.A. Uh, And he's played very well. You couldn't ask a guy his size uh, and his capabilities to play any better. I don't think at shortstop than he did this year. So that has made a huge difference here. Uh, Evan. So if we're looking at this uh, roster as it shapes up right now, uh, what do you expect will happen when some of these guys start to get back? Uh, And how do you, what would you expect? And I don't, I guess we're jumping ahead of the horse a little bit here, but I want to go ahead and just say, uh, if you had a, if you had a playoff rotation for you, what would it be today?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think that right now it's you know it's it, the key thing is as I said a minute ago that Evolve back, right? And so he's he's made two starts and he's working his his pitch count back up. But I do think that with guys like Kini and Martín Perez and to some extent Cody Bradford, look, you've got three left-handers right there that could all back up a, a right-hander and give you multiple innings. So it gives Bruce Bochy potentially in the playoffs, obviously, the the ability to pull the pull the trigger a little bit more more quickly and to potentially force the opposing manager to use his bench a little bit more early. Um, I, I I think the big question would be: Would the Rangers um, in the first round? You're only gonna you're only gonna have three starters. So the question would be: Who goes after Scherzer, Evaldi? Would it be uh, John Gray or would it be Jordan Montgomery? And I think that that's a little bit of a coin flip, just based on how those guys pitch down the stretch. Um, with all three, if you go with the three right-handers, right? If you go Scherzer, Ivaldi, Gray, you could back them up with three lefties um, in Perez, Heaney, and Bradford or Montgomery. Uh, so I, I think there's some there's some attraction there. Um, really Evan, real
2: quick, what what about potential? first round matchups would there be as far as the teams they face would you lean with one of those guys as a third starter over the other
1: i haven't i haven't looked that far david just at like what they would how much it would play out if they're playing minnesota versus if they're playing tampa bay Mm -hmm. versus the possibility of playing either a toronto or or or, or, i don't think they could play toronto i think still it's
2: three it's three teams in the mix right or just two that they could play i guess uh
1: so you you'd have three wildcard teams And the Rangers aren't going to finish with the first wild card. They'll either finish with the fifth overall record, which would play the number four team, which would probably be Tampa Bay, the Mm -hmm. sixth overall record, which would play the number three team, which is Minnesota. Or there's the possibility still that they end up winning this division, the division. finishing yeah. ahead of Houston and getting the bye into the, uh, the AL division series. That's the longest of shots because they trail Houston by two with 19 to play. But uh, I think all of those are still somewhat realistic. And I, I, I don't think the Rangers are going to try and get too cute. I do think that, that they've got they've got a lot of different weapons that they can employ. And the fact that now Bruce Bochy has these guys to help him get through, say, innings five, six, and seven, or four, five, and six out of the bullpen. I think that's going to make I, I think that's going to make Bochi and the bullpen a lot more effective in the potential for a playoff series.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that, that's interesting to me about the Rangers is that I think they'll be a better team in the playoffs than they are in the regular season, simply because the rotation will be shortened up, and it allows you to to dump one of those guys back into the bullpen, uh, especially for that, those longer relief rolls, because that has been the problem is getting from, you know, from four and five to to seven and eight, right? Uh, if If you can shorten that for the back end of the rotation, and those guys are not throwing anything, certainly not more than one inning,
1: that's, and, you that's know, we've, probably, left out. we've left Aiden Dunning out, too. And so if they went with a lefty in the in the number three spot, maybe you back them up with Dunning. You know, I, it, there's any number of ways they, they could play this. But I think for the first six or seven innings, the Rangers have a lot of nice options. It's still going to come down to how do you navigate the eighth and the ninth. Um, but I think if those guys are rested, and I, I think if bochi has got weapons to get him there, I think he can he can navigate a little bit better.
0: See that's what I'm going to ask you about. So so let's let's take those things. If if Will Smith and Aroldis Chapman, first of all, they're going to they're going to both have to pitch well in the playoffs for the for this team to go anywhere. They cannot pitch like they were you know in the, over the last six weeks. You know, that that won't work. Uh, so is there a possibility though that with all of those guys, I, I think it probably it, it certainly benefits the Rangers the fact that Dane Denning has pitched out of the bullpen. Andrew Heaney has pitched out of the bullpen now. And so when they get into the playoffs. If they do get into the playoffs, we keep, I think we need to make that a caveat. Um, It it will help that those guys have been in that role and they are not surprised by it. Because we've seen sometimes when a starter has been pushed into a role like that in the playoffs and they haven't performed well. Well, these guys have done that. Certainly Dane has done it quite a bit. Uh, Would you be comfortable running one of those guys out there in the ninth inning, eighth or ninth
1: inning? Who's that? Well, you started, you started about with a roll with Will Smith, and then you gave me Dunning and, and those oh, guys. Yeah.
0: So. Good, good point. Well, no, I, I, Look, I, I'm wondering about one of the starters. Would, would you be – because you talked about that with Lance Lynn. If the Cowboys – ever the Cowboys – if the Rangers had acquired Lance Lynn, you had said that, you know, he could be a starter for you during the season and then maybe he could even roll in and become a closer for you late in the game. Do you see that potential in any of the guys they have on the roster now?
1: I don't think that they would make that dramatic of a change, and and I think it's also just because I don't know that Dunning or Heaney have the kind of stuff to overpower some hitters. Um, Heaney's forcing fastball plays a lot better uh than the velocity numbers show. Um, I think that's because of how it kind of how it approaches hitters and how it explodes. And so maybe there is some some opportunity there. I just think like if you get into the postseason with Bochi, you know, I think during the regular season, he has, because he's had the three batter minimum, he's sometimes they've been a little bit slow on getting a guy up and a, bat, a pitcher has had to face, Four hitters, sometimes five hitters, uh, before they make a pitching change. That's not going to happen in the postseason. If a guy, if if a guy, the minute a guy gets up and a guy gets in a game, there's going to be somebody behind him. And if he doesn't put away the hitters that he's supposed to put away immediately, there will be a change. And the important thing though is that you've got to have adequate weapons to 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 choose from. And that's the biggest difference now. Is I think they've got adequate weapons, whether the regardless of the inning, right, regardless of whether it's the fourth or the ninth, they've got weapons that they can go to and that he feels confident that he can he can make a move and still have somebody behind him. I think there's been some times when he had, he felt like he had one guy that he could, he could potentially trust and he had to try and save him for either the highest leverage moment or for the ninth inning, and it just, it always caught up with him. Yeah, no
0: question about that. Well, you know, I think it's funny how we, uh, you know, winning a game in Toronto is just kind of like changing everybody's opinions about uh, what the Rangers can do. But it's also, as we noted, uh, Seattle is floundering uh, now, and the, and the Astros lost to Oakland. So we, we see that uh, that these kind of things can happen. It's going to be a close race. I said a couple of weeks ago, I'd be surprised if there was five games difference between first and third place in the AL West when it's all over. Um, and I think that probably that will be the case. Uh, we'll see how they can put all this together, but I certainly think that, uh, the Rangers, uh, it looks like they are starting to find their way back. And, uh, as, as these guys join the, the roster, I think that they are going to start playing certainly better than they did the last couple of months, which is not saying a lot. Uh, so, and that's probably, low bar. yeah, low bar. All right, uh, that's going to do it for the Rangers segment of our podcast. We're going to go over now and talk about uh, college football. Uh, I went to Tuscaloosa last week. uh, Man, that was a trip, Uh, getting there and getting back. uh, It's always an adventure. Uh, But it was uh, quite an experience to be there in that place. Um, Let me tell you something. They take their football very seriously in Alabama. I don't know if you all have ever noticed that. Um, you,
1: you discovered but, that on, you, you, you uncovered that on this, on this trip.
0: I didn't know. I've, I've actually been there on, on other trips as well. I was, th- I was there when Johnny Manziel, uh, you know, uh, cemented his Heisman case back in 2012. Uh, so yeah, it, and they have, they have moved the Prescott, the press, the press box to the other <laughs> side of the field. Since then they sold, they sold the uh, other one that made it into suites and gave it to the fans so that the new press box isn't nearly as good as the old one. I, I, I complained about that but
1: nobody seemed to Well, I'm sure I'm sure that that will be taken under advisement. Right? upgrades? Yes. Yeah. There, yeah, or are do.
2: renovations underway? Yeah. Before the exactly. next game there?
1: I don't know if y'all's take on
0: this. I want to ask y'all what y'all think uh, just uh, let me let me go ahead and ask you this first then so I don't know if you if y'all watched uh, the Texas beat Alabama 34 to 24 uh, in a game in which Alabama led for exactly 69 seconds. Uh, does that tell y'all, does it suggest to you that Texas is back or do you think that, well, maybe Alabama is just not that good and uh, we shouldn't go overboard about this? So let me let me start with David uh, first on that. What do you think, David?
2: I would say they need, this is one of the better moments for UT football in recent years, but it's happened early in the season. Can they sustain it? Are we still going to be saying this four or five weeks from now? Because if they, if they don't move on from here, it's just another missed opportunity. But, but I will say this happening this early in the season on the road, uh, with the expectations that are there, they should build off of this. But if they don't build off of this, it's going to be more of the same, and I think is how most uh, Longhorn fans will receive it. So I, I still think they put themselves on a different fork in the road, but they can still find themselves going the wrong way if they don't uh, play
1: well here over the next few weeks. All right, Evan? Well, I think one thing... Tells you exactly where we are is I believe at 3 a.m. on uh, Sunday morning, the students in the fountain in Austin were chanting, we want Georgia. We want Georgia. Um, (laughs) No, they don't. They
0: don't want Georgia.
1: (laughs) The landscape in college football has changed a little bit. I, I don't think Alabama is quite the same as they were. I did think early in that game, there's no reason for Milrow to ever throw the ball. That offensive line was just so impressive, blasting off the ball and, and creating lanes for their runners. Um, but once he did throw the ball, I thought Texas did a great job of bringing pressure. I thought they got a lot of pressure on him. I just don't think, to, to your point, Kevin, as you mentioned in the column, I'm not that you wrote. I'm not so sure that that Jalen Milrow is the equivalent of what Alabama's had at quarterback the last six to eight years. So I don't know how you, I don't know how you gauge that, but from every element that I would be concerned about, I felt like Texas gave a lot of reason for optimism, um, on the ever on, on the always important is Texas back scale. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought you were through some nice, he threw some nice footballs, um, through, made made some really nice passes, but I was just most impressed by the amount of pressure that they were able to generate on the Alabama, through the Alabama line on the quarterback. And and if they can do that all year, this is going to be, this is going to be a dangerous football team. I try yeah, to talk I like think... football coaches now, in which I I mention the sport as often as I possibly can. Say football. And, and are the it's Longhorns the on the
2: same place as the comeback scale as the Cowboys? Do they occupy the same? Yeah, they're same they're very similar, or?
0: right? Well, they, they're they're what? First of all, they're brand names, right? And yeah, uh, and they have long disappointed. Uh, now they've had a they've had a national championship since uh, the Cowboys they have. Now, so versus more recently. so that yeah, that uh, that that makes them a little different. But yeah, they're they're very similar type of organizations, and uh, and I refer to them as organizations because that's exactly what they are, right? Um, but the uh, the thing that struck me about this game and, and going into it, uh, um, uh, set. Oh uh, gosh,
1: uh, Pete. Tham- He's going in the I'm Texas sorry.
0: game, yeah, in Alabama. Pete, sure. them all over the ESPN uh, surveyed a bunch of scouts and other coaches and asked them, "What about this talent that Texas has assembled?" And uh, and what the scouts told him was that they've got about ten guys that are probably going to be drafted, which this year, so. First of all, there had been a couple years in the last six or seven where, where Texas didn't have any drafted, right? Uh, having 10 guys taken in seven rounds would be a school record. They had 13 drafted in the 1983 team that uh, just missed a national championship uh, and would have kept Fred Akers around a little while had that happened. But that was that was in a multi uh, – uh, I guess what was the draft back then, 13 rounds? Uh, in seven rounds is a record if they have 10. So what that tells you is there's a lot of players. There's a lot of talent on this team, and there is. Uh, certainly a lot of talent at receiver. And that's the thing about this game that impressed me was that, first of all, they got little to no pressure, Alabama, on Quinn Hewers. Uh He was able to – he kind of slid around a little bit, but he was, he did not have a lot of people in his face. It allowed him to to throw – to not throw on his back foot, uh, and to make better throws, I thought his confidence grew as the game went along. Uh, he uh, does have really excellent receivers: Adonai Mitchell and and Xavier Worthy, and to uh, and Sanders, the tight end, are all terrific athletes, and they and, and Alabama couldn't cover them. Uh, and, and of course, that's not that's not new. There have been Alabama couldn't cover them last year either when when Quinn Ewers was in the game. Uh, so the problem with those guys is that they can't hold on to the ball. There were at least a half dozen drops in that game by, by that trio. And, uh, and that's nothing new either. They dropped the ball a lot last year. So we've been very tough on Quinn Ewers because he has not played well in some games. and certainly did uh, late last year. Uh, but I would say he could get helped out a little bit more by his, uh, uh, his receivers. But the bigger thing is for Texas, I thought was that yes, Jalen Merrill is not the same kind of quarterback that Nick Saban has had in the last four quarterbacks, but he's not, he's not bad. Uh, He is, he's a little one-dimensional. He does throw a really nice deep ball. The problem is that he gets sucked into things. You can fool him. And he got fooled a couple of times and on very big plays, but, but Texas has uh, tremendous players. Anthony Hill, the linebacker from Louisiana, who was uh, one of the, the top recruits in the nation, uh, had a tremendous game, uh, against Alabama. And that's the kind of thing that's happening now. Uh, whatever Steve Sarkeesian is as a head coach and whatever you may doubt about him, he's recruiting, he's, he's piling up a lot of talent, uh, and they're coaching them up They're They're playing very hard. Uh, you know, I, I was not on board with this hire when they hired Sarkeesian because the whole premise was that, well, we're going to prepare ourselves for SEC football. And I, I didn't think that other than the fact that he was the offensive coordinator a couple of years at Alabama when they had really good players, I didn't think that was a qualification based on what he'd done at Washington and USC. But I'll say this, they sure look SEC ready to me. Uh, you know, we can say what we want about Alabama, not being the Alabama of some years past. They're still really good. Uh, that's a really good team. And that's a really tough place to play. And 100,000 people in there making a lot of noise. And Texas went out and dominated that game. They they dominated it pretty much from start to finish. Uh, and that's a very impressive win. Now, they're going to have to keep doing that. And that's, David, to your point earlier, that's one of the columns I'm going to write later this week, is that uh, they said all the right things after the game, too. They didn't make it seem like, well, hey, here we go. we're We're ready for the national championship game. You know, you didn't hear any of that from the Texas players. All you heard was, hey, it's one game and we gotta we gotta keep doing this. Uh and I think if, if the Texas players can really adopt that that uh kind of attitude and keep that for the rest of the season in this uh last lap of the Big 12, I think they can I think they can really go places.
1: I I can't disagree with you there. I mean, I, I do think that part of the problem in the last few years has been that every time Texas authored a big win and their fans inevitably started with the Texas's back thing that that the players and the and the staff wanted to join right in, um, and I, I I think maybe the idea that listen they are getting ready for the SEC and they are getting ready to step it up and maybe they are looking a little bit more I they're looking a little bit more at the long term than saying hey with each game we're back um, I, I I think is is important but listen it comes down to this they have as you said kevin they have a lot of talent um and talent wins in college football and more than ever now you know it's about it's about gathering that talent and using it um and texas just looked like a multifaceted team against alabama it was a really good start um Really and that's good. a big
0: that, that's a big win for them too because no matter what you say about Alabama going into Alabama and winning there, that will look good to the committee when it, when it gets time to to, uh, to make a decision here. And I will say you know obviously that's the that was the big non-conference win they had to get and they got it uh, And you look at the rest of the big 12, um, Oklahoma didn't look real impressive beating SMU uh, over the weekend. Uh, TCU, has has not looked impressive uh, and already lost to Colorado. Texas tech has not looked impressive. I, you know, Kansas state's playing well. Uh, I, I think they will there'll be an issue for uh, Texas this year. Uh, there will be, there will be things that, you know, uh, there, there are some roadblocks out there, obviously starting with Oklahoma the, on October the 7th. Um, but I do think this really sets up well for Texas uh, to make the college football playoff. If they win, if they win the, the uh the big twelve, they will be in the college football playoff. Uh, I'm gonna make that prediction right now. So we'll we'll see how they do uh going forward. Uh Evan, your SEC is is not looking great here, man. Uh Georgia, your 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 Bulldogs um, are good. But uh man, uh, the rest of the league's struggling a little
1: Well, great. the Bulldogs haven't played anybody yet either. Um and they they uh, they finally played South Carolina on uh, on Saturday. Um yeah, you know, it, 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 early in the season, it does look the landscape looks a little bit, a little bit more open. As and as much of an SEC elitist as I am, there's there's nothing wrong with having some variety in the top ten. Um, this was this was a weird year, also on the SEC schedule. You know, I one thing I've been a big a big fan of is that Georgia has opened with big-name opponents the last few years, and they were supposed to open with Oklahoma this year. That game was moved because of the SEC scheduling um, down the road, and so they ended up with Tennessee, Martin, and Ball State. Uh, not much of a test, either either one, um, but it hasn't been. I, look, the, the, the one story in college football for the first two weeks of the season hasn't been the SEC. It hasn't been Texas. It hasn't been anything other than than Deion Sanders and and what's happened at Colorado. Um, and it's been a while since beating Nebraska was a big story, but you know they did beat Nebraska, beat them handily. They're two and and0 and 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 they look very talented. I, you know, there's 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 nothing else to say about that. Dion has Dion has taken college football by storm this year. There's there's no other way to say it. No, no question about that. He has. They got they got tremendous offense. I think that you know
0: we should. John Lewis is offensive coordinator came from Kent State. He's done a great job. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday who told me, you know, basically the, they're just – they're running the old air raid offense, you know. And so uh, that, that's what's really helping them. And they have a quarterback, Jadour Sanders, uh, of course, Dion's son, who uh, who now you're seeing stuff that people are saying that he should be a top five pick. Uh, and we, we'll see if that happens or not. You know, uh, I, certainly – he he's got a lot of ability. He's not he's not as I noted a couple of weeks ago. He's not the same athlete as his dad was, and there are very few people who are the athlete his dad was. Uh, but uh, he does throw a great deep ball, and he and he is very talented, and he's got a, a bunch of good receivers. And Travis Hunter also, as we pointed out, a great two-way player. So you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens here in the in the Pac-12 this year. I mean, everybody. All the talk was about USC and rightfully so in the Pac-12 and Caleb Williams, the returning Heisman Trophy winner and everything the Lincoln rally has done. Well, I think it'll be a very interesting now to see how that breaks down as we get here close to the end uh, or the uh, uh, in the next couple of months in Pac-12 play.
1: You know, we didn't say anything about A&M.
0: We didn't say anything about AM. No, they they lost to Miami. I tell you what, uh, that was not good. It, you know that Van Dyke, uh, the the Miami quarterback, who's been there for like I don't know seven or eight years, it seems like, uh, and he kind of uh, riddled. Uh, I think he's still year. younger than Bo Nix. Well, he might be, but <laughs> I tell you uh, that that's not a good that's not good. Lose them, and you you didn't just lose. You kind of got run out of the building a little bit there. You uh, you know. Uh, Bobby Petrino has improved the offense. He can't do anything for the defense, though. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm hearing some rumbling uh, from people uh, about uh, what are the possibilities we could buy out old Jimbo, uh, which would cost them, I think, what, $70 million to do that. Um, I think there are people – look, you watch. If Texas is really good this year, if Texas makes the college football playoff and does anything after that, uh, I, I would not be surprised at all if Jimbo has if he only wins seven or eight games. Uh, I, I could see those people decide we can't have this. We can't, first of all, we can't have Texas coming to the SEC and coming off a college football playoff appearance. And then we're just muddling along here at, at seven or eight wins, a, 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 a normal Kevin Sumlin kind of season. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens down there. Uh, I think that, uh, uh, there there is no bigger underachieving group of players in college football right now than at Texas A&M for everything that Jimbo has assembled there uh in the recruiting classes so uh he's got to get this thing going in a different direction
1: well and coming from us three big underachievers ourselves that's something that's saying something
0: here here willie you're to to call us underachievers you're you're implying that there was something expected of us. I don't know that Again, that's it goes the back to the all. bar,
2: the, the low bar from earlier. <laughs>
0: low bar. I'm Pal, I'm a big, I'm an overachiever, pal. There was nobody expected anything out of me. <laughs> uh, that's certainly what any of my counselors would have told you. So, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you taking the time and listening. We hope you'll come back next week and we'll talk a little bit more about what's happening and how the Cowboys did against the Jets and Texas can sustain this great start uh, and then all kinds of other topics as as well as the Rangers and maybe making that playoff run. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks and we'll see you next time.